Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. This is Nadia. We are the Queer Arabs, and we are here with someone who is not Arab. <laughs> it's like the so Iranian The Iranian edition. Vita, um, do you want to introduce yourself and tell our listeners anything um, you'd like them to know about you? Sure. Hi. Thanks for having me on Queer Arabs, even though I'm not an Arab. <laughs> My name is Vita Bell. I was born in Iran, and I've been living in the U.S. since 2012. Yeah. Ah, feels like a long time ago. Wow. <laughs> I am a dance maker, teacher, music composer, and filmmaker. And yeah, I'm active in the field of performing arts, uh, mostly as my main career, and just some other things on the sides here and there. <laughs> nice. Amazing. Um, well, I'll just start off asking, how's your quarantine been? Um, and what have you been up to or not up to creatively lately? I feel like the whole quarantine lifestyle has been some kind of like a process. Mm-hmm, totally. I think in the beginning when it started for me early in early March, of March, I, I actually had a big gig coming up that was canceled and that including with sort of following the news of how the spread is sort of increasing day by day, super fast, leading to a pretty much a two weeks depression. And after that two weeks came like a wave of sort of anxieties mm-hmm. linked into the uncertainties of the future of anything from my personal life to just on bigger on a bigger scale, like an economic situation or even just the, the uncertainties of our humanities. And then sort of got the groove back or the somewhat quarantine style groove, you know, <laughs> weird schedule, like my breakfast is my dinner, my dinner is my breakfast. <laughs> and then filling it up with some self-care, self-love activities, like calling friends and watching a show I like or trying to slowly move my body. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the beginning, it was actually really hard to focus on my body because I think I was experiencing a lot of shock. And slowly, I mean, being a dancer, I felt like I have to be able to um, connect and work through my body. Otherwise, it just feeds into more, feeds more into my depression and anxiety. So slowly after I got to little by little improvise here and there, I wasn't able to take online classes i felt like that's a bit too much for me sure. and so instead what i did i started a project called duet while while solo duet while solo mm-hmm. on um, instagram live where i would dance with another dancer friend like improvising through the instagram live mm-hmm. and that sort of helped me to feel connected to my body feel connected to someone else and feel like i have some kind of a virtual performance and a virtual connection with another dancer. And yeah, that was sort of the main uh, quarantine-related project that um, mm-hmm. I started. I did one of the duets, and it was really fun. It um, was, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because between like classes or performance projects online, it's an interesting balance between finding things that do feel like they're connecting us and things that feel like a little extra sad because they're like 
not, imitations yeah. of something else that doesn't quite feel right. Not a replacement. Um, yeah. But it actually was really fun to play with like the Insta Life format and how we could like play with the frames um, yeah. and interact with each other in that sense. That was really cool. You both had the windows behind you. Like it was, it was cool how you yeah. kind of like made the scene, the setting yeah. look similar. Listeners, just to say how it works is that I would connect with a dancer friend and we would set up a score. A score in a dance improvisation is kind of like a shopping list where you say, we can do these things or we can think of these things. And Nadia and I had, basically we decided to work with the idea of silhouette and we were performing against the light of the window. So that was sort of our <laughs> score. Loved it. And Elia also did violin for that improv, yeah, that which was, was fun. fun to have um, live accompaniment. Yeah, that was the only, uh, only duet that I had live music for. It was really awesome. I'm glad it worked out. It was really fun. So do you want to talk about how you were introduced to the arts growing up? Like what led you to start exploring the various art disciplines that you are doing now? Sure. Well, I first was actually introduced to visual arts. My mom actually studied um, art history. I mean, also growing up in Iran, you're surrounded by lots of arts and crafts. Mm -hmm. Like every household you you see a lot of handmade objects or just it's a very visually stimulating culture. And I first was kind of taking classes in drawings and sculpture. Um, this was a kid sort of like fun arts and craft classes. And from that, I started kind of being super physically active. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, from swimming classes to tennis to squash to hanging out in the park with like skaters and I kind of started to put this in two so the sort of visual art and the physicality was starting to merge which for me would define movement and dance and so I was 15 when I left Iran and I went to Hong Kong I studied at Liputran United World College of Hong Kong. During my studies there, it was actually part of the uh, IB, International Baccalaureate Diploma. And as part of the diploma, I was taking visual arts and theater classes. So as part of the theater program, we had to conduct a project and I chose to direct a piece. And I didn't really connect to any like specific plays or anything. And I was coming from a somewhat highly political and emotional background and instead I decided to actually devise uh, my own narrative into a nonverbal movement somewhat physical theater production which was called skin and bones after that so I was 17 this is on the second year which is the last year of the school um, after the last year when skin and bones was actually the last day of the performance I got an amazing response like people in tears and standing ovation and I was pretty shaken um sort of like what I had done I had taken a very somewhat traumatic experience and turned it into a a performance uh, at such a young age from that moment I I knew that I'm gonna pursue performing arts I'm gonna pursue dance I'm gonna this is what I want to study that was sort of the highlight of I would say the start of performance and performing arts as a career. 
Wow. That's really incredible to have that happen when you're still in high school. I mean, also just the maturity of being, like, able to to depart from, like, the standard Mm -hmm. format of what you're expecting your theater performance to look like and also to get that kind of, like, genuine response to your work when you're, like, not even an adult yet. Right. And to channel something so personal and emotional in that way at that age. Yeah, and I have to say here that it was, and I mean, this is why I deeply believe in the power of education and sort of inclusive activism and support of minorities. I had amazing support when I was in school from my advisors to my teachers to a lot of the students. Like I really felt like I'm, I have advocates and I have people who believe in me and who are supporting me. And I think it's really important, especially at a young age, to have that support. I mean, before that, coming from Iran, I had that support from my family, but like still, it's a very, it's a very complicated scene. And mm. yeah, and I think if I hadn't received that education that I did, I probably would, would not be where I am. Or I, mm. yeah, I would probably have chosen a completely different path even. Just out of curiosity, do you know like what other career choice you might have chosen if you weren't an artist if i wasn't yeah <laughs> um <laughs> yeah actually architecture um which is still which is still so art, art. yeah <laughs> but i feel like it doesn't architecture doesn't have as much of a sort of personal connection to people i would say i don't know maybe i think it depends on the architect yeah yeah it would be a it would be an interesting conversation to have with architects actually but mm. for me i feel like i mean in, in performance i feel like at the moment yeah with myself and the other thing is i just felt like building buildings wasn't useful (laughs) fair (laughs) yeah who needs buildings anyway yeah and you don't get to interact with the people like seeing your your final work versus like what you do like performing arts you get to be surrounded by the energy that energy yeah, yeah, there's something about like like being immersed in mm-hmm. a performance that um, I don't know. At least I personally haven't like. There's a lot of things I'm interested in, but I haven't been able to find something that just like I feel as invested in in the moment as performance. Yeah, but I mean, having said that, this is still an interest of mine, and even more so when it comes to sustainability, mm-hmm. sustainable living, like. Here and there, I look up these videos of people making homes out of like shipping containers and <laughs> the sort of tiny house projects with yeah, solar. Yeah. I mean, I'm still into it. It's just not I'm focused, yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, kind of on that note, like um, another focus of yours is combining art and activism. And we've been talking in a lot of episodes recently on this podcast like, what does activism mean? What forms can it take who should consider themselves an activist so i'm interested from um your perspective what does it mean to integrate activism and art and what do you feel that performance art in particular brings um, to political expression actually it's interesting i was trying to update my website one of the trying to be productive things (laughs) (laughs) i was making an activism section and reflecting on the things I've done, I try to sort of categorize activism in, in different ways that 
I think kind of opens up the way we think about activism. Because I think sometimes maybe we think that activism has to be like, you have this like movement that you're leading or that you're a part of, mm -hmm. or you're like hitting the streets and protesting. And you know, it doesn't always have to actually be that way or look that way. From the individual place, and I think this is where actually I think it's very related to my performing arts process, is that like as as a body, as a human body, we are in contact with what's going on. Whether it is actually affecting us or not, we are in contact, we are in a relationship with the world. And the very first thing I think an activist should do is to just look at themselves and put themselves in the algorithms of the world and see how they fit into that equation, you know? So that, I mean, like privilege is part of that conversation, race, gender mm -hmm. identity, sexuality, all of that. And for me, informing yourself and being critical to resources is like the top priority of any activism. And that in and of itself actually is pretty enough. You know, if you are constantly trying to inform yourself about what's happening uh, in your community, in your local community, in the, in the larger nation community, the larger international community, you're, you are constantly being aware of what's going on, that you're already sort of fighting ignorance to some level, you know. And if you are also being critical to what's out there, having your, your own sort of set of criticisms with, especially with media now, I mean, since Trump's presidency, fact is an alternative, you know, <laughs> and yeah. it really requires um, one's own sort of motivation to dig into what's true and what's not. Even with the COVID-19 situation, there's a lot of misinformation and like, one has to see the resources that are in front of them and, and try to see whether it's credit, credible or not, you know. So that's like the number one thing, your background, your the way you are situating your body and your mind in yeah, in the in the scene of the world. And the sort of the other things that I also consider part of my own activism and I think it should be considered part of activism is anything from volunteering to community action. I have even volunteered for, you know, arts events or productions and when I think about like, okay, like I, this, this could also be something that I could get paid for, but then I would consider that I was actually helping out a group of artists who had a message, but didn't have enough financial means to actually provide financial help for the people who were helping them. So I would also consider volunteering in the arts as, as a form of activism as well. Of course, like if you are volunteering at an institution that you know is not struggling financially, then mm -hmm. you should probably uh, set your expectations higher. But if you are volunteering with a group of artists that you know are not financially doing great, but uh, you connect with their message and want to help out, like this is also a form of activism. And of course, I got to get to know Pussy Riot and Nadia Tolokno. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that has been a 
much larger sort of uh, movement that now I'm a member of as well. But yeah, that's tell us uh, more about how you initially got involved in Pussy Riot. And um, I know, unfortunately, the tour is not happening now because no one's <laughs> touring anywhere. But like, what's been your experience uh, working with them so far? And um, if you want, what was planned for that tour? Right. So this is actually the, the tour that got cancelled for me in second week of March, which was really, really yeah. sad. <laughs> but I first got to perform with Pussy Riot in Austria at the Nova Rock Festival and the Euro Pride Parade. And I mean, it, it was pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. um, it was pretty sick. Um, of course, like Pussy Riot is is a group that um, people connect to for, for many, many, many different reasons. But for me, one being just standing pretty strong, hardcore in front of like authoritarian regimes. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities between Russia and Iran. And um, for me, that has always been an inspiration, the work of Pussy Riot. But yeah, I mean, I don't really know how to explain my experience with Pussy Riot. It's just... In some level, it felt crazy that I did it and that I'm like part of the group and I will hopefully be able to perform with them again. But on the other hand, it kind of makes sense, like looking at the trajectory of the things I've done and the path I have taken, the the way I have developed some philosophies of life. And <laughs> it makes sense for me to actually be a, be a pussy riot girl you know yeah. so yeah i they're also super chilled like anyone can be can be a pussy riot pretty much <laughs> God, that's <laughs> so fucking amazing yeah it doesn't require you to like have a certain style or anything like it's just i mean uh nadia has a book called read and riot and i definitely recommend it Ooh, um, okay i'll check it yeah. out in yeah. this in this book I feel like it kind of gives you the it also touches on the thing that I'm saying about activism that it's not this romanticized thing that people think like anyone can be an activist in any for any cause um, even if it's just for themselves to always be informed and fact check themselves so mm. yeah this is a great book actually to learn about Pussy Riot and activism. Just a quick detour. Something my friend said um, about this activism conversation, like the same way we say like any everyone is a dancer, like everyone is an activist, like no, mm -hmm. not everyone is a dancer with the same level of involvement or training or whatever, but like anyone should move their body the way that makes sense to them and the mm -hmm. same way like everyone should advocate for what they believe in in like whatever ways they like can or have the capacity to do or feel like doing you know yeah and i just really yeah. like that parallel me too i think that i mean this is i think we're going into another <laughs> road but i think it's for me it's important to say both words like dancer and activist sometimes can have a lot of expectations or associations linked mm -hmm. to them like you have to be this and that or you know and it comes also with a lot of hierarchies yeah well, I think at the end of the day, I mean, if you really look at it kind of objectively, you just have to think about what it's doing, you know, <laughs> like, why are you dancing? Why are you doing this activism? Like, at the end of the day, it's about the impact. At the end of the day, it's about what it's able and capable to transform and change. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. 
Another thing I was wondering, given that you've like lived and worked in a lot of places, you mentioned um, around Hong Kong, uh, several states in the U.S. I know you were in Vienna mm-hmm. before and maybe some other places that I don't yeah. know about. How have the different places that you've lived and worked like influenced your perspective as a person and as an artist? It's a really interesting question, actually. And I think uh, for me, it's a kind of a refreshing question. So I'm not sure if my answers is really answers, but more so maybe just that make me also think about. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and one of them is that I, I've always felt like an outsider, even in Iran, even in the US as an immigrant, in Hong Kong, like everywhere. I, I've always felt like a a visiting guest and if not a guest even if I had the desire to stay longer like I do in the US but can't I still kind of feel like an outsider what that does is that you can look at things from a bit of a distance Hmm, I don't know how to put this but it kind of you kind of lose yourself like when especially that I've moved so much in in the past 10 years alone I've lived in three different continents Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you kind of lose some attachments that I feel like it's actually really good like in the beginning for example when I had just moved from Iran to Hong Kong I was really sensitive about how people would talk about Iran and I would sometimes even self-censor myself. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. after so many years passed and I kept moving places, like some of these attachments kind of wore off. And it makes you, I don't know, kind of look at things without without this like emotional attachment, which I don't know, allowed me to have discussions without getting mad or angry or offended. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It yeah. does. It kind of blurs the meaning of identity, if that makes sense. Like, I I feel American, I don't. I feel Iranian, and I don't. I'm moving to Vienna, I'm not Austrian, but maybe I will be, but maybe I'm never gonna be, and what is that even? Like, yeah. it's, at some point, it's it stops to be meaningful. And that I find actually liberating. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. so clingy to nation as identity anymore. I love that. Yeah. And like, you know that you can, you can speak objectively about something or like criticize something without denouncing the identity that you have that's attached to it necessarily. Right. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like it's kind of counterproductive to denounce things. I think it's, it's more of a process you, you choose, like people should choose for themselves than, Mm -hmm. than to try to attack the thing itself. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I'll remember that for a long time. Like, Yeah, you've also yeah. lived a lot of places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it makes total yeah. sense. Yeah, okay. How, how does it feel for you when you think about it? Um, yeah, the way you put it is really helpful because I've never articulated it for myself. Knowing what, kind of like how to separate, kind of determining for yourself what to draw from the experience and and keep with you and what you are totally okay with leaving behind and knowing that you're not rejecting the whole identity or the whole like part of your life you're just like choosing what to carry with you or what like what is most important to you from each phase and setting of your life and there is something nice about having that control 
or like mm -hmm. determining that for yourself mm -hmm. it's not automatic like it's a process figuring yeah, out like parsing out those things i mean especially that it keeps affecting my life i mean my iranianness keeps affecting my life like it's not yeah. um, it's not something i can just forget about <laughs> like it, it's always coming up as an immigrant like it's never gonna go mm -hmm. away but it does help i mean especially i think it definitely helps with sort of the anxieties one feels uh with social constructs and feeling discriminated i think having having that idea to connect to in those times helps me to kind of feel like a winner actually you know to feel like i don't have these made up attachments <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And it's not my fault you know like right and that like your particular connection to a place or whatever is valid even if it's like maybe not the usual or it's like maybe different from the general narrative that you hear mm -hmm. Cool. We were also wondering, so you've explored various types of art, and this might be a broad question. Uh, what does your creative process look like? I know that looks different for everyone. Sometimes people are more deliberate about when they create, and sometimes people just like let things come to them when they come to them. I'm curious to hear what it generally looks like for you if there is a way to answer that yeah yeah it's definitely a hard question because it's so contextual with every project has its own process and especially if, if it's a collaboration versus a solo project like it it's yeah. always but it generally speaking for me it starts with either a lived experience and knowledge or a sort of passed down knowledge. So it, it comes from a place of memory, um, if you consider knowledge as memory. From there, I sort of investigate and actually oftentimes do, do research. So whether it's digging into history or digging into psychology, or I, I get pretty nerdy. <laughs> and watch videos watch interviews like listen to podcasts like sort of try to understand something that i that comes to me as a as a muse as an inspiration and then from there from the research i start i start to put things together and form the idea and from the idea structure and sort of how i want uh the the performative experience to look like so i think generally i would expect mm -hmm. i would explain the the process like this but again with every process this these stages come at different times or maybe some are never really there um some are always in question yeah, yeah totally uh, i mean we can put it in context um do you want to like talk us through either like one or two of your favorite projects you've done in the past or um, a project that felt significant to you and mm. how it came about and how it came into the world? Sure. I can talk about my most recent sort of major solo project um, that was called Dam, coming from the word Dam Noosh. Actually, it was two iterations of it. The first iteration, which was as my master project, was called Dam Noosh, and the second Dam. And actually, I could probably pull up this 
short description because it's pretty nice and concise. In Farsi, dam means time, warmth, to inhale, to be on the edge. In English, it means barrier, obstruction, and blockage. Combined together, dam constructs multi-layered linguistic meanings into an intimate, intense, and interactive solo performance. Complicated, heavy, textured, the complex negotiation of balance, this solo performance stimulates a visceral experience from an autobiographical narrative that struggles to transcend boundaries of identity. So it is coming from this sort of uh, linguistic term. And damnush itself is actually a way of brewing Iranian herbal tea. So this, pro this project, kind of like how I was explaining uh, the stages in my process, came from that lived knowledge. The lived knowledge being an immigrant from Iran in the US with a tense relationship between the two countries, being under the travel ban, and so on. <laughs> so many mm. uh, political and social and discriminatory narratives that I experienced both in Iran and in the US. So it was coming from a collection of my lived knowledge. And from there, I try to really like observe how things have happened and go into my body and see where it resides in my body and how how do i process the reflection of these stories of this past how do i process that reflection in the present through movement and so improvisation and solo improvisation was a big part of that and again like i said with doing more research like one thing that happened in that process, I remember it was like a big visceral moment for me was I was researching airport security mm -hmm. and I started reading about swabbing and I actually had no idea that swabbing was about looking for residues of gunpowder. That made my gut shake because it makes sense to think that someone might carry a gun in the US, but I have never, I had never like touched a gun in Iran, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, but yet I would always get, you know, called for secondary inspection or like a second check or further security check. And I would always get swabbed and my luggage would always get swabbed. And I don't know why it never occurred to me that it's for something like gunpowder. So I like knowing know that, that I think I did, yeah. but mm -hmm. yeah, but, but also when you think through it, it's, Oops, it is terrifying. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that was something that came through, came after researching further and, and just realizing more and more the sort of horrifying <laughs> nature of it. It's interesting because so it is terrifying, but it's also like in something so like innocuous, it's just like this little cotton swab wiping something, no, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It looks so like tender and nice. It's like you're getting like a little spotty, like someone's just like caressing your skin. Yeah. Soft, thin paper. Um, yeah, it looks super like n not harmful. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think that kind of speaks to the duality that you have in your title. Like it's something that's like warm and soft and also something that's like yeah. terrifying and set up to yeah. block you. <laughs> Exactly, so yeah. amazing uh, that you say that is true. And so uh, going forward, the, the entire solo performance was done with a 
like 17 kilograms carpet <laughs> uh, that was mm. taller than me. And um, from my experience with contact improvisation, I basically am negotiating the weight and the shape of this carpet throughout a 20 to 30 minute performance. And the next stages of this process, or like from the lived knowledge to the research, again, this is pretty much generally how my processes go. Improvisation and play is a big part of it. At some point in the in the process, I just have to stop thinking and feeling and reading and writing mm -hmm. and just get up and do. After having filled up my mind so much that the doing becomes really fruitful. Because I feel like a lot of times if I just start by doing, I feel too overwhelmed at the sort of the ideas that are fleeting so fast or that maybe there's even a void. And I feel like I, there's a fullness and richness in my experiences, like nothing to brag about, but I think like a lot of the things that have happened, I feel like it's heavy, you know, it hasn't been quote unquote normal or easy. Mm -hmm. And so for me to digest those before starting to do something is, is really important and, and, it, and it becomes more fruitful in the process. And so towards the end of Dam or Dam Noosh, I just start to think about how to situate myself and this narrative with the with the thought that the audience is also a part of it. So a lot of times I try to um, create a space in which the audience is part of the performance. Actually, you were also there in my performance at the, um, at the salon. Yeah, at the salon. So it's always important for me that I get to connect with the audience through an object or a touch or a conversation even. And so even in Dam Noosh, there were, um, at the end of the, there's a, actually there's a moment that I'm rolled up in the carpet and I can't get out and I reach out my hand for someone in the audience to actually pull me out of the mm -hmm. carpet. And at the end of the performance, I choose someone to sit down on the carpet and have a cup of tea with. So yeah, that always comes, in the performance, I always try to think about participation and interactiveness because I don't want to be this performer that everyone's just watching and mm -hmm. feeling from. Um, I kind of want to feel like it's kind of like a classroom kind of maybe that like we're all in it together. And I feel like this is, this is something that I have a lot of questions and curiosities about and Something about the pandemic that makes me sad is that I don't know when I'm going to be able to <laughs> um, yeah. experiment with this yeah. again. We can't be in in one place right. for too long. Yeah. And like the duets that you started doing, you're, you're finding a way to interact. Yeah. Like, and I have some experience with digital media interaction and... Cool. This might be something that I have to start getting into if there is no alternative. <laughs> yeah. This might be the time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, live performance is on hold for who knows until when. Yeah, yeah. I think something um, we've been talking about with a few people is like that we need to find. I guess what similar to what I was saying earlier, instead of trying to make digital interactions that mimic in-person interactions, we need to focus on like. New. what yeah like some like, just what new types of connections that are specific to these different formats yeah that we could facilitate because it's just depressing when you're yeah. trying to imitate something that you don't have but it, it can be exciting when you're discovering something totally new 
in a different medium. Right. That that's a that's a great observation, and I think part of it is probably because people just don't want to let go yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't want to think that this is it and it's over and it will never happen again. So, I mean, it's it's hard for me to think that too. So, from a music perspective, like I've been trying to think about the highlights of I don't know doing like this digital orchestra thing and how like a bunch of us are playing together where in before this time we would have never connected or never played together because of where we are Mm -hmm. and it's kind of that's helped me a little bit like thinking about that and thinking okay there's a takeaway here like we can collaborate a lot further than we generally think Yeah, I guess maybe that is one positive I've been seeing. Like, yeah. in the collaborations that are happening, there's, I guess, less of an attachment to place or nation or borders, which yeah. is mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. I also feel like people are taking it slow, finally. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, not everything has to happen so fast. And, right. like, we, I feel like we've been so used to producing mm-hmm. so much in so little time. And now we can, like, Take it easy and if you don't feel like it today maybe tomorrow because <laughs> like people yeah. just know that that's just a group now it still sucks <laughs> this yeah. all still sucks it's okay for it yeah like yeah, yeah. but <laughs> but i'm glad that we're slowly figuring out new formats and then like it is yeah it is really cool to connect with people you never thought even thought to do that with mm. um, yeah is there anything else you want to mention like anything you're working on or um anything else you'd like listeners to know about thank you for chatting i think it's nice to get out of the sort of loneliness of quarantine and have interesting help with someone and i think for listeners i would encourage the same like call someone and talk about something you're reading or you're watching or you're thinking or even if it's just nothingness or your worries and uncertainties (laughs) it's just nice to try to find new ways to connect and not to get you know totally isolated in our isolations yeah yeah that's important yeah if anybody wants to see my works actually they can go to my website which is Mm betabell.com and if you want to reach out to me you can email me at betabelldance at gmail.com yeah perfect (laughs) thank you (laughs) thank you so much this was great thank you thank you you can follow us on insta uh, twitter and facebook at the queer arabs you can email us at thequeerarabs at gmail.com and our website is thequeerarabs.com you can find all our episodes on the website and most podcast apps thank you all very much for listening